talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Good day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the drop kickoff. My name is Nick Wasiliev, and we are coming to you just after the weekend of the final match of 2021, which saw the Wallabies go down swinging to the Welsh at at, uh, at Principality Stadium in Cardiff. Um, final match of the year, uh, and we are here to talk about that game, talk about the year in general. Um, and what goes ne- what happens next for the Wallabies going into 2022 and what is going to be a very interesting uh, forthcoming year of rugby. Joining me first is Nathan Williamson. Nathan, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm doing all right. I mean, over the weekend, the drop kickoff turned into the drop beer after having drink- a couple of drinks with you guys. Someone spilled a tired <laughs> drink on me, but it's, it was all yeah, up there gonna... when we lost, lost to Wales. So, yeah, it was a great week. Yeah. Great week. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was going to say Saturday night would have been a pretty rough night for you. We were we, for for context for everyone. We we went out to the uh, the kicking in in Petersham for uh, for a seafood for a big massive seafood. I guess you could say it's a bag. They just dropped a bag on the table and we just ate. Um, and then we ended up at, at the tavern down the road. And the bloke he claimed that he, it was the first time he'd spilled a beer in five years, but it went straight all over over Nathan. <laughs> And I was like, only downhill from there because you've got the Wallabies game to look forward to. And that was poetic. <laughs> but also joining us this evening, Dylan might jump on later. He's currently uh, preoccupied with another meeting, so we might see him, we might not. But joining us, uh, it's been much requested for the last couple of months, um, but we finally have him on the pod. Hashtag Hosses on the pod officially. Hoss, welcome, mate. How are you? Yeah, good evening, boys. About time you got me on. Uh, my fans have been waiting a fair while, and it's uh, good to be on. <laughs> it's probably a real pleasure for you to have me on tonight. It is an absolute pleasure. So, and I am completely quaking in my boots as to what's going to happen next if the uh, if the chat on the Gagan News Channel has anything to go by. But let's dive into this. We're going to have a very long show tonight to to finish off the year in style. First of all, let's talk about this Wales Wallabies game um, uh, and all of the. Uh, comments that happened for it because god it was a very interesting match question two we're going to talk about our standout player for this tour um who was the person that really stood out to us question three uh, we're gonna of course have an examination of the refereeing there has been so much talk about some of the decision making over the course of this uh not just this weekend but this whole autumn tour there's been a lot of questions that have been raised um question four we're at the end of probably the first full year of Dave Rennie in charge. I think we can argue that, you know, 2020 was a bit of a, a write-off in terms of, you know, team development. But first year of Rennie, we finished with seven wins, seven losses. What do we rate Rennie's first year out of 10? Question five, uh, what is the one thing that we think the Wallabies need to work on going into 2022? Question six, we're, we're going we're gonna to have we've got a few more. Uh, our other standouts from the weekend, there were so many interesting games uh, that, that, that kicked on this weekend, um, which uh, we'll, want, we'll want to chat about. And then lastly, question seven, a very special uh, way to kick off, the, to finish off the, the podcast. Hoss has got some awards. He has been uh, he's been observing uh, all of the events happening this year, and he has got a selection of awards for players this year. So, let's kick straight right into it, boys, and talk about this Wales Wallabies game. As mentioned, Wales prevailing 29-28 uh, in in front of a packed crowd in Cardiff. 
Um, and they retain the James Bevan Trophy for the first time ever in their history, which I which I didn't know. And it's also the first time that they've beaten the Wallabies three times on the trot since 1975, which is a, a very, very surprising record. Um, I'll throw to you first, Toss, because last time we were on the, when we were on the pod last week, I I tipped the Wallabies to win this game, not because not for any reason, but otherwise I just had a feeling that the boys were going to show up and they were going to play their guts out and they were going to produce something. I get the sense that they did, but obviously the result doesn't reflect that. Would you agree? Oh, mate, look, I'm I'm conflicted about the uh, the Welsh game. Look, if you, if you take it as a as a one off game, the boys played well. You know, they 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 were good up front. They were good out the back. Um, I suppose it was a typical 2021 Wallabies performance, wasn't? It? I mean, there was sublime attack, very good defence, uh, mixed uh, wrapped in a blanket of shit. And uh, that's what the Wallabies have delivered this year. I mean, there have been some sublime moments where you, you look at it and if it wasn't for the orange jerseys, you'd be thinking you're watching the, the sheep shaggers across the ditch play. The attack's been that good. But then you see things like, I reached for the program on Saturday night. I was terrified for a minute. I saw 15-metre touch finders and I thought, fuck me, Spenners Foley's playing. We had penalties where we made 15 metres out of hand where we should have been making 35-40. We threw some poor passes. We took some bad options. But by and by, if I look at it as a game of Wallabies versus Wales in the context of just that game, they were very good. They, you know, they, they were, Pasami played his best game in orange. Uh, Skelton showed what he could do with serious minutes off the bench. Gilbert Beale delivered on the good parts of Gilbert Beale's game. There were no text messages, and some of his kicks actually found his foot. Um, so there, there was a lot to like. Um, ultimately. I know we'll touch on this later. Look, I can live with the red card uh, because I think in the context of player welfare, that was the right call. Watching it with a naked eye looked just like a good hit. When you watch it on the 418 replays, then then certainly it, it looked worse than probably what it seemed in real time. The yellow card was nothing short of disgraceful. I know we'll touch on that a bit later. But look, injuries aside, even though they're established Wallabies, they were new players back in the team with you know, Gilbert Beale, Big Willie Skelton, uh, Tolo Latu got bail for the weekend and he was able to play. So there was a lot to like, but at the end of the day, we didn't get the lollies. Uh, we didn't get the lollies that then made it a, a grand champ. We lost three in a row for the first time in 40 odd years in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, gave us 50% win ratio for the year. So it's a walk away, as I said at the start, is conflicted. I thought they played really well. They should have won, they could have won but they didn't win. And that's been the story of the 2021 Wallabies. Yeah, it's, it does seem eerily similar to, even though we, we, there has certainly been a lot more highs than, than 2020. I mean, the set, it was, it, you could almost argue it, it was kind of similar because you could see that they're playing a fantastic game and yet the results just haven't quite come yet. Not for lack of trying. It is interesting that you mentioned that, you know, there was no Hooper, there was no Corabetti, there was no Sami Karevi, no Quay Cooper, no, you know, Reese Hodge, no Tom Banks. Um, and how much of that game, like you touched on, that we played with with a reduced with reduced focus on the field, I think, um, and of course the the issue with Kellaway, um, you know, I think they played extremely well. Yeah. Um a lot of you know, I think a lot of people here in 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 you know in Australia have kind of thought that we, you know, we we were the better team on the field. Nathan, I'm going to throw to you to be devil's advocate for a moment. Not, nothing like to give you a good hospital pass to kick off the night. Your um, favourite. Yeah, I love. I always love them. Um, you know, was it a case that we actually played better than the Welsh? I mean, the Welsh, of course, finished with the win, 
But like, is that are we diminishing the Welsh performance here, or do you think it was a case that that you know we've been robbed uh, with with referee with some of those refereeing calls, and it just we just couldn't get the chockies? I, mean, I think outside, even outside the referee calls, I think we still still played better than like they didn't. I think for the first, I think say 45, 50 minutes they looked dangerous, and then just. Just fell away as soon as they had a slight thing go the way with that yellow card. They just fell away from the game, and when you, what with I think ten minutes to go, we're down a man yet we're still finding space. Like Paisami's run towards the end was perfect to set up the Dungunu try, uh, getting over the ball. Skelton was great as you mentioned, Toss. I think we were still better than them. It's just a case of we just just in the end, it's it was too hard to make up. I mean, you're down for sixty five minutes, down a man. Down to thirteen for ten. There's only so much you can do. It was, I mean, but we've, I think we've done it. We did it once against the French. Adjusting, it's one of those games you can't do twice. But I mean, as you say, credit credit to the performance. Like having those guys, all those guys you mentioned, plus Taniella goes down. I think what forty fifth minute with a shin injury. Um, Tompkins runs away, scores twenty three thirteen. And we're at that stage, you're down two player of the year nominees, the comeback player of the year in Quade Cooper. I think the past three John Hill medalists in Coran Better and Hooper, plus the starters, your breakout player of the year nominee, your most improved player, in my opinion, in Rob Valentini. Like it was always going to be a tough struggle, but just to, to see that fight and I mean, just knowing that we've, we've done it in the past, we kind of had that, still had that belief, but it just was a case of, not being able to do enough. I would have liked to see Kirtley that when he takes that kickoff, runs down the field, just keep the ball on hand, mate. No, I get, I get what you mean. You try and kick the ball in the touch, twenty-two out. You know, and you know it makes it hard for him to score. You know, it makes it harder for them to score. Hold on to the ball. I think I've had this. I think I've had this complaint before. But the fact, the one thing for me that diminishes the performance is the fact that when you're that close to closing out a game. We decide, you know what? Let's give him the ball back. Just hold on to it. Yeah. You fought for so long. Just hold on to it, and just just seal. You're a professional side. Just seal it out for ninety seconds, and we're probably talking about a different result. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I mean, it's a take nothing away. That was arguably the most. If maybe the French one's probably more gutsy, but that was probably the more the second toughest performance by Welby's side I've seen since. Since I think even before Checkers' time, maybe like it was something you'd be incredibly proud of walking away as a Wallabies fan, and that's something we we haven't been able to say for a, a lot of these games over the past five years. I would say I think it definitely proved one thing. I think there's been a lot of discourse, particularly overseas, around how Michael Hooper has kind of been seen as the face of that side, and that Michael Hooper, by extension, is basically holding the squad together or he's the reason why you know there's a lot of discourse around there that, that it can be quite negative and I think undermining of some of the other achievements of some of the other players but no Michael Hooper in sight and the boys showed up which yeah, was, was Rob, Rob was the really, really was great as well just to just yeah. to jump in there um Isaac Rodder the amount of work he got through was incredible mm. I think but uh I think he led led the side in defense by I think a fair amount if let me just check a set of stats yeah he was he was our leading tackler with 14, didn't miss one. The next one up was eight. And that, that was surprisingly Lockie Swinton coming off the bench. Mm. Mm. Led, led the side for getting involved in rucks, nearly doubled what 
that uh, in terms of attacking rocks, double what Pete Sami put out as your next person up. Like he got through a fair amount of work, and you can see that line out is slowly. He's slowly taking command of that, and I generally thought it was one of his better games coming back. Him and Leota, probably arguably their best game in gold in 2021. So I think there's plenty of positives that you're seeing these guys. That maybe it was Michael Michael Hooper having to do try and cover two or three players, as we've seen for the Waratahs in the past. But it was a yeah, really yeah. good one to 15 performance. Would you, even though we did lose, I mean, are you feeling as conflicted about the squad? As uh, as Hoss is, are you or are you? Are we walking away happy in your eyes, Nathan? Are we walking away happy even though we went down? Um, yeah. I look. You don't like going to spring tour and not coming away with a win. I think I'm comfortable that we've got something before that year which I didn't think we had, and that was depth. I really think you ha- you now have a quality. I can't remember there was a Twitter feed that that was going around as we we're about to go on the air tonight. And someone going through the first and second and third um, fifteen, and just to see every single every single like combination we could have gone with, and seeing that even if we're going to third stringers, we can all of a sudden compete, and they have say ten to fifteen caps. Like it's it's really promising, mm. and I'm, I know we're still two years out from the World Cup, but I think it's it's still making that right step without peaking. I think after after the sort of South Africa and Argentina, I think we thought we'd taken five steps. But it was and got knocked back three this time. So I think overall it's still positive. It's a positive area to be in with the squad. I agree, and we'll, we'll touch on this later when we when we talk about when we rate Rennie's year, um, kind of later in this podcast. But I I do agree with you regarding the depth. I think the one you know positive that kind of came out of the Checker years, as much as you know it was such one dimensional rugby in terms of the actual performance of the team, was that the actual blooding of players. Um, you had the NRC running at the same time and. And you started to see that come through in in the performances of early 2020, which was so annoying that the when the pandemic kind of brought that all to a close, you were seeing like wallop the you know Super Rugby sides starting to win in New Zealand. That finally a four or five years of of development was suddenly coming through. Um, but it's it's certainly you know it, it's it's showing like the that that period of time that that we that there was a, a kind of a sense of pathway where there wasn't a gap between club and and Super Rugby, it's starting to show now that we've got depth. There is options and 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 uh, available there, which is which is really promising. Um, but let's go on to question two, and on this, and we're staying on the topic of uh, of players and, and and depth. I mean, there's been a lot of really big standouts in this tour. Um, you know, there's been a lot of comments about about players who we've wondered, you know, <laughs> why are they in the squad up until this week. You know, we we made it no secret that. We were wondering until at least this game what the likes of Willie Skelton was bringing uh, to the squad, and, and and as well as you know how Beale was in those first two games against Scotland uh, and England. But yeah, I think this uh, the performance this weekend certainly throws a, a difficult uh, you know situation here in the mix um, in terms of who is the standout player of this tour. Um, Hoss, I'm going to throw to you first with this difficult question: uh, Who stood out to you? Sorry, mate. What was the question? I nodded off during Nathan's. <laughs> no, look, mate. Uh, I think there was three that sort of caught my eye. The uh, the ginger ninja continued his run of good form. The, the, the guy's just quality, um, and he's the type of guy for mine that you start to build a wallabies side around in terms of attitude. Because the difference between a good game and an off game for him is five percent. You know, the difference between a good game and an off game for the wallabies is 
50%. So, you know, you need that type of footballer in your side who, on a good day, he's 95, on a great day, he's 100, as opposed to, you know, you, you just go back to Gilbert Beale for a second. Look, he's an enigma in that he was poo against Scotland and England. I mean, you know, if they had looser gun laws in England, somebody would have shot him. I mean, he was that bad. But then he turns <laughs> up against Wales and he plays as he only he can. But the difference between his good and bad is 80%. And you can't, you cannot pick a player going in wondering, is Jekyll here tonight or is Hyde here tonight? You, you need to have that, a much narrower uh, chasm between on and off. For me, uh, Robbie Leotov, I call the mule because he just gets in and does all the hard work. Um, he carries, he, he he's very good uh, with his discipline. I, I, I'm sure um, Nathan will have some stats, but I, I can't recall a penalty attributed against Leota. So he... He's, he's tough as teeth. He's a big body. He's a big unit. Having said that, and I know uh, for the thousands of Tars fans out there, they'll all agree with me, I thought Swinton was good when he came on. You know, I, I call him Kenny Rogers because you'll see more cards than the gambler during his career. But he, he was very good. He made tackles low. He made effective tackles. He was good on both sides of the ball. He was very good. Was it enough to displace Leota? No. But, you know, Robbie Leota was good. But look, the gong for me goes to Sideshow Bob, Rob Valentini. I, I think for me, as an old fart, the Rob grew into his Rob's had the body, Rob's had the physique to be an international rugby player, but not the probably not the belief. And I don't I don't mean that as a criticism or, or I just think that Rob was a young man in a big body, and I think that now that Rob's had a season of international footy. He's, he's after Michael Hooper, he's the second or third guy picked week in, week out, to the point where Dirty Harry Wilson had better start practising playing six because I think Rob Leota, I'm sorry, uh, Sideshow Bob, if he's fit and he's, and he's you know, he's the first he's the first bloke picked today. And I know they sent Harry Wilson away to work on a sidestep before contact, probably a bit more bulk. He's, a, he's probably just four or five kilos off what he needs to be to be an eighth. I think Valentini has really grabbed the, the bull by the horn. And as I said, I think his rugby maturity has now caught up to his physical maturity. And he's, he's our eight for the next four, five, six years because he's a, he's a good footballer. He's a smart footballer. He now probably feels a bit more at home in, in, the, in the jersey. And he played accordingly. And for mine, he's been the standout player post the French. I think in the French game, you're still finding in the French series, he was still finding his way as a, an international footballer. Now he knows he belongs there. He knows his body is a weapon. And I think he can build a team around somebody like uh, Sideshow Bob. Would you argue he's probably been the player of the year? I mean, in terms of consistent Ooh. performance. Or is that or is that too much? Or are we slanting? Uh, or are we saying that hoops, you, you'd be too hard to yeah. you serve hoops? That's blasphemy against hoops. Yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> I think for all the grief Hooper cops, and I'm a well-known Tars tragic, but just, you know, that's that's on record. That's official. I'll own that. I think, yeah, I think Hooper has been the best player this year. I think his leadership's come on in leaps and bounds. I I still sort of shake my head sometimes that, that we, as a rugby rugby public, don't give him the respect and recognition he deserves as both a player and a skipper. Um, yeah, and but I, I think Hooper's first. But I think then then uh, Valentini and Kellaway are, are very close, equal second, and they're not far off the pace. 
it's a it's a wonderful problem to have so to start to see a lot of those boys kind of come into into form there i do agree with you in terms of a lot of those performances and and expansion on the weekend i love that you, you mentioned leota there was i don't want to say like it kind of reminded me of like scott farty of 20 of 2015 just you know you'd have you'd have your your you David Pocock and your Michael Hooper doing the flashy stuff, but he would just get in there and do the small things that would enable them to do that stuff. I think Squidge, Squidge Rugby talks about it a little bit, um, you know, when he, when they talked about some of the work that, you know, that led to that, that Wallaby squad making the 2015 final and that a lot of it was due to the really small work that uh, Scott Fardy would put in. I think Leota's heading down that 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 route as well. Um, Natho. What do, you, uh, do we uh, do? We concur in terms of the standout player of the tour. Who do you, who stood out for you? Yeah, no, I, I back back off his claim on the burn bobbies. Uh, Rob Lioda and Rob Valentini, I think they were both great. Uh, just Valentini, I think the only other penalty he gave away on the tour, I think, was against Japan. Other than that red card, um, another one I'm going to throw in there. This might be a bit of a surprise. Is Nick White? I thought, especially defensively, he came. He really came leaps and bounds on this tour. Like, I, he made a couple of crucial tackles against, I think, I think it was Scotland. I thought his kicking game against um, Wales was perfect. That little, this, the one in the second minute where he just kind of put that perfect box kick for Paisami. It, it just set the attack up for the rest of the night. I think his distribution was a lot better. So, I think you've got to be doing something really well if you're leaving someone like Tate McDermott on the bench. I think he did enough over those like three games. To really warrant just retaining that that starting spot for me. Yeah, I was. It had been a lot of a, a big topic of discussion. The whole issue at scrum half because I think you know we've all been really impressed by McDermott. I mean, Host, you may disagree, but I think he, in terms of his uh, pure attacking ability, um, it, it, there is something really there. But I mean, White has definitely been impressive, and it's it's great that they are they're actually competing for that position. I mean, they've definitely left the likes of someone like Jake Gordon in the dust. In terms of uh, of you know being the the, the two competing starting position uh, you know scrum half positions for the Wallabies, um, yeah it's it does make you wonder though it, it does make you wonder though because do you, do we see him in in terms of the long term prospect you know of, of scrum half for the next couple of years or do you think it's just a case of get this get the Wallabies going get that success and then eventually it'll be a case that McDermott will come in and make that role his own similar to like a Gregan kind of role of the of years past. I mean, he's, he's 31, Nick White, so he's still got a couple of years in him. But oh, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's the thing. What's, and this is kind of, I think, one thing we found with Craig Cooper as well. What's wrong with just playing these experienced guys and having that depth? Like, Tate McDermott's what? He's, he's 23. Like, he's still got a decade left. He's still already got 14, 15 caps to his name. Like, you're going you're gonna to still get a very quality um, scrum half out of him. Just... Get, keep the experience of Nick White out there while we have it. Just use it until we get to this World Cup. And then you say to someone like Tate McDermott, you're, if you're good enough, get in front of him for 23. But if not, 2027, that's, your, that's where you're starting. You're going to be thriving for us. Yeah, look, Nick, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I agree with Nathan, which is it's a first. Con- confronting on a lot of levels, let me tell you. I'll... What is this? Hang what on. is this? <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Text my counsellor now. I've set up a booking. Um, look, mate. I think to, to to earn the right to wear your national jersey, I think you've got to be brilliant at the basics. Now, and I, and I don't think Billy the Kid is brilliant. At the, and the reason I call him Billy the Kid is he's fast, but his aim's fucking horrible. That that kid could not hit 
a cow in the ass with a shovel. He's quick, he's nippy, he's all those things, but you got to do the bread and butter. Or as, as Nutter says, big shout out to Nutter, as Nutter says, meat first, potatoes and gravy second. And look, there's no doubt he has a future and he deserves to be the number two offer. But for all that, the, all that he offers, compare him to Aaron Smith versus DuPont on the weekend. And look at the difference in that's that's the difference in step up. Now I'm not saying Nick White's there, but Nick White's only ten percent off those guys. McDermott's thirty five percent off those guys. And and this is what I don't get about Lolasio is why the hell wouldn't you give him game time under uh, Lazarus Cooper? You know, Quaid's risen from the dead. He's a he's now a a better human being. He's a great footballer. Nobody sees the game like him. So why wouldn't he room with Cooper? But why wouldn't he be given game time with Cooper? Now, that's no slide on, on uh, John Snow, James O'Connor. But I, I just, you've got to give these kids assistance all the way through. It doesn't matter if it's rugby or if it's whatever they're doing. They've got to be exposed to the wisdom of years. And I think the throw in McDermott now would ruin his career and it doesn't advance the Wallabies cause right now. Will it in two years, 18 months, three years? Absolutely. But right now, Nick White is the standout halfback in Australia. And perhaps the best referee in world rugby as well. <laughs> the thing with the Lesio, the Craig Cooper stuff. I know he took Cooper took him under the under his wing during that whole um, yeah. rugby championship. But I, I think they they were very clear on the we, we need him to have a preseason, so we're not going to play him. And when he got brought in, I think everyone kind of fell for the whole oh he, he's going over there, so he must be playing. Like they, they had a clear plan with this kid. They wanted yeah. him to to sort of sit behind. Get a preseason in. I mean, everyone makes the Marcus Smith comparison, but what I think he, he well, sorry, Loiseau is twenty one. Marcus Smith is twenty two. Yet Loiseau has nine caps. Marcus Smith, I think, has six. Mm. So all, already he's more experienced at an international level than Marcus Smith. Yeah, it's just he just hasn't got that that width of or sorry, that breadth of sort of club depth behind him. And I think all of his games, the majority of his games, have come in an eighteen month period. So you have to kind of you have to give the kid a little bit of time just to essentially just be a normal kid. Like he's he's twenty one. Yeah. Let him develop. But I can, so I can get the I can get the jock while they've gone with jock. But but mate, I look. I, I'd go a bit different to that. Dally M made a great point in today's uh, comment section. Um, that Marcus Smith has played a hundred odd games for Saracens. Lolly's played less than twenty games for the Brumbies. So look, their their rugby trajectories are, are completely different. Now I get there's more rugby in the Northern Hemisphere because there's fuck all to do. So you've got to play rugby, otherwise you you know you just go and lie under a truck. So, but here was a perfect chance, particularly the Welsh game, where all we were playing for is pride. And I and I don't I don't write off the importance of a Test match or a jersey, but surely game time for that kid is more important than two kilos of muscle mass and a big off season. Surely time under the furnace of a rushing defence, a parochial crowd, a fuckwit as a referee that's going to be much more important to him than going back and putting on two kilos of muscle mass. That's That's got to count for more. So, okay, you leave him at home, no problems at all. You've got a plan, I, I, you know, much to far better rugby brains than I am. But to take him away and then sit him in the, wrap him in cotton and say, listen, take care of the mascot and you can pack the training bags, we just lost an opportunity. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think we've been, we've all been, we've all been mentioning that, especially you know Dylan, um, you know over the last couple of weeks. And even though they had to scramble to get him over, and he did, you know, get some game time, I think he should have been there from the get go. 
but you know what can you do i mean for me the in terms of the the, the players that have really that kind of stood out you kind of touched on all the ones i wanted to but i do want to highlight you know the work that andrew kellaway had it's a pity that that you know he went down in the wales game but God, the bloke, I mean, I've been watching him since, you know, the days of 2014, 2015, when he was, you know, searching for a contract, um, you know, play, and playing NRC. And the bloke, the difference between that that kid and the guy that's there now is huge. He's grown so much and matured so much. And at the, and at the international level this year, he has just flourished and it has been an absolute joy to watch. And, you know, it's great because you've got, you know, you'd have him on one side and Corabidi on the other. My God, like that is the makings of a, such a dangerous back three. Um, and of course, you know whether that whether that lasts. Who who knows how long that lasts? And of course, there's there's obviously the the, the situation of you know who of who you finish up putting at fullback. But I think considering you know how long how how young he is, Kellaway, you have the potential to build such a fantastic back three around that around him. Um, for years to come, and I cannot wait to see how he grows and matures over the next couple of years. Mate, can I, can I throw a curveball in there as well? I reckon post the Rugby World Cup, in my humble opinion, I've seen enough from the squatter, Basami, to be a future 10. I think Ooh. he's got all the skill sets. He's a, He can pass beautifully left to right or right to left. He's got a kicking game. He's terrific in defence. Um, yeah, I... I know there's the Donaldsons and the Harrisons of the world coming up and the Carter Godwins and all these these guys that are young guys coming. But I I think that Asami's got a skill set to be a terrific 10 for a long time if if he was given an opportunity. And he, let's face it, he, he plays as a ball player. He's, he, he spent as much time as 10 against the Welsh as uh, O'Connor did. See, this is where I, was, I wish Dylan was here because that, w- that would just absolutely trigger him, the thought. The thought of Paisami playing ten, I reckon, like he's he's still only twenty three as well. Like if yeah. if James O'Connor goes down for the Reds, yeah, are they going to throw Liner in there at ten? I mean, the only options maybe Hamish Stewart, but at that stage you probably just throw Paisami and just see how he goes. The thing that got me as well is he can kick off both feet. I think yeah. he's he. I think it took them a while to. I think something which Rennie said, which stuck to my head, is it took him it took him a while to realize that he's right footed. Such, such as how good he can kick off his left. Like he's got all, he's got all the skills. It's just I think just improving that ball distribution. Well, mm. didn't didn't Bernie Larkin start at fifteen from memory? I, I know I'm older than you blokes, but I think Bernie started at fifteen. And, yeah, I recall he did. Yeah. I recall he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe look. I think there has been a lot of you know. A few of us have wondered in terms of. I think people have tried to think that you know. Paisami is maybe he's been trying to become the next Karevi, and I think it's it's clear that he's just not. He's he's not the next Karevi. I think you know never. Suddenly the idea of reframing and putting him in the in the ten role might might be a great idea. Who knows? But what is good to hear about this whole chat is the fact that there are so many players who are standing out, um, and that is the right sort of discussion to have. Um, you know, our years in years past, you know, we'd we'd come to the end of a tour, uh, in, you know, in checker times, and you'd you'd go, I don't know where the hell we go next. The, it's it's great that there is opportunity now. Let's well, let's move. That's an easy question. So you go to the Waratahs. Wake up. Oh. To your- <laughs> <laughs> sort of. We're sorted. But yeah, that, that depth coming through. So the thread I was talking about is um Cam Redpath. If anyone wants to check it out, his Twitter. It's just looking looking at a, a fourth eleven, which has the likes of Hosea. Um, Will Harrison, as you mentioned, Matt Tamua, 
Uh, Andy Muirhead, Jock Campbell, um, Ned, Ned Hannigan, <laughs> uh, Izzy Nicerani. Like that's 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 still quality at at your fourth your fourth starting eleven. You can throw it up, and a third with the likes of Liam Wright, Harry Wilson, Dungu Dungunu, which is questionable, but beside the point. Uh, uh, Vunuvalu, uh, mm. Jordan Ulesio. Like there's there's plenty of depth coming through. It's, it's exciting. It's a really exciting future. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, let's move on to question three, uh, which will kind of be the last point from from you know looking at the games uh, or the, the examinations of this tour. Um, we got to talk about the refereeing here, and I feel like we're going to go down a massive rabbit hole considering all the questions that we we have coming. But it's worth bringing up at this point because there's been so many kind of calls around the re- around the refereeing, and particularly the the delving out of cards this this tour. It's been extremely interesting to examine uh, the kind of the, the, the dialogue and the examination here around it. And the question I've kind of asked was, is the current enforcement of the rules working? And I think, and I want to kind of throw to you first, Hoss, on this, because I know that you've got a, you've got one or two things to say about it, because the question I, I want to kind of kick you off with, does it come down to the referee in the end, or is there something genuinely wrong with the enforcement of the rules uh, that World Rugby have, have, uh, have provided? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Nick. I know we spoke off air before this starts. So I've got a couple. I've got a question, and I've got an experiment for all the young kids at home. My first question is: Marius Yonker, Afrikaans for Nigel Owens, because that was fucking shit. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the second, I suppose, one of the experiment I like the kids at home to do, and this is from Uncle Oss. I'd like the kids to go to the cupboard and, and fill up a fill up a glass with red, bright red cordial. I'd then like you to go to Mum and Dad's white carpet somewhere in the house. I want you to stand there and drop it in front of your feet and splash it all over the floor. I then want you to convince your parents that that went backwards. And if you can do that, <laughs> you'll be high as a fucking referee. Look, um, we spoke off air, mate. I think the danger with world rugby at the moment is they're starting to referee intent. And I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can judge a person's intent. I Let me state for the record, in, in real Live play, I had no problem with Rob Valentini's tackle. Uh, watching the replay, I understand why it was a red. Do I think it should have been a red? No, but I understand why it was a red. So I can I can kind of walk away from that and go, okay, you know, we, we look at what we know now with brain injuries and concussions. So you, you cop that and go, it was clumsy. Was it reckless? No. Was it deliberate? No. Was it bad technique? Perhaps, but you got a metre 95 guy tackling a two metre three guy. You're taught to wrap the ball up so they can't pop a pass. You know, 95% of tackles, and that's a completely made up number in rugby, are around the, around the chest and around the ball area because you, you don't want them to promote the ball to the player. In terms of the yellow card, and I, I gave you this analogy before, let's, let's just go to Wayne, Wayne um, God, I've forgotten his name, Wayne Barnes. Is anybody talking about Wayne Barnes refereeing or is anybody talking about the cracker that was the frogs versus the, the, the darkness? Everybody's talking about the quality of the game. Contrast that to everybody is talking about the refereeing in the Wales versus, versus Wallabies game. So the, the red was a harsh call, but you know what? You walk away and go, I don't, I don't accept, but I understand. So I can do that. The yellow card to Kirtley Bill. Kirtley Bill wraps both his arms around the player. The fact that the ball was in the trajectory of the, 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 his arm swinging, making the tackle, how in God's name is that a yellow card ever? 
That's just, I don't care where his eyes were. I don't care what the slow-mo shows. The reality is that both his arms went round the Welsh player and he completed a tackle. So how is that a yellow card ever? I, I Look, I know Charlie on, on Monday, he does Monday news, will, will, will quote the law. I know Carl, who's a Kiwi and a referee, so I don't listen to him at all. He, he'll, he'll, he'll quote the laws. But I have a very philosophical view is, does the offence impact the play? So does the, does the offside, the roll away, the late to the ruck, the, if it impacts the play and stymies the opposition, ping it. If it doesn't, play on. Because with what, what these refs have got to understand is rugby's a product. Rugby's like a cheeseburger or a Toyota or a Samsung. People want to enjoy it. They don't want to go and see these colossal fuckwits making these decisions that impact the game. And I think I saw in the first half there were 17 minutes of stoppages while they referred to Marius upstairs. And it, it was just, it was horrible. So I go back to set the standard early on. Wayne Barnes set the standard that he was going to, he was going to referee three or four different things that were important to him in the game. The teams adjusted. The world got one of the greatest games of rugby of the past 20 years. It was a great spectacle. Everybody loved it. That's what rugby's about. Three hours earlier, we watched a car crash, in, and everybody witnessed a car accident at 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was, it was disgraceful. It was disgraceful viewing. It was disgraceful officiating. That's not detracting from Wales. They had their injuries. They did all that. Park that to one side. The refereeing, the officiating was horrendous, and, and that's what Dave Rennie said. And, you know, to hear Dave, to hear Moses at the end of the game, to say that during the week they got an apology from World Rugby that he's, that Murray Yonkers' decision against Alan Alatoa against the Scots was wrong, here's an apology. Then the guy gets trotted out against the same team the same week. Yeah, players are in and out of form, they get dropped. Why are officials allowed to continue on and impact games like they do? It's... It honestly is, you know, I, I completely agree with everything, particularly your point about intent. Um, I think that because, you know, having had a look at the at the at the rules and the way you actually officiate that, I mean, there is a lot of it's it seems very black and white actually looking at the laws that World Rugby have introduced. There's this and there's this and there's this. If this happens here, then this leads to this. But at the same time, you're you're playing a contact sport and of course, there's a chance that, that people get injured. But when you start questioning uh, the intent or whether tech, no matter how times, you know, you, you tell, uh, you know, uh, players that you have to improve your tackle ability where you're not going to be able to to get down low or something or, or like that. There is going to be a point where you're going to, where tackling will be a little bit higher. That's just, this is just what happens in a game of rugby. That is just how it is. There is a moment where when you're a player, whether you're attack or defense, you'll be hit slightly higher up. There is, and there is no way that you can, you can change that or adjust that. And when you start to, when you start to talk about intent, then there is a clear, like there are sometimes there is instances where intent is, is clear cut. The um, bloody idiot Butch James for the Lions years ago, running in from 20 meters out and slamming a bloke on the, in the ruck with a, with a shoulder charge. That was clear intent. But when you have a bloke like Valentini genuinely trying to make a tackle, genuinely not trying to cause injury, um, or, you know, Marika Corabetti's try against, uh, you know, uh, Marika Corabetti's uh, tackle in, against, you know, the French, the Frogs captain um, earlier this year. He's, yeah, he's, he's just trying to, he's just trying to play. 
there is no intent there. I think there's a common sense ruling here going out the window, kind of that seems to be that seems to be happening. And I think that World Rugby really need to have a look at just. I don't, I don't want to say a common sense rule because that sounds like just such a bloody castle approach to to everything. <laughs> the rule of bloody common sense, but that there needs to be some sort of ruling around the fact that in the vast majority of instances, whenever there is actually tackles happening, there is no intent. There is no malicious intent. You're just one bloke trying to tackle another bloke. Nafo, what do you think it's a, it's a case of just of, of common sense or do you think it's also actually down to the refs themselves? Is it not the rulings at all? Is it just, uh, is it just the case that, you know, we had an idiot refereeing us, but in most other instances, the rulings, the actual rules themselves aren't to blame. We're getting in dangerous territory because I'm agreeing with Hoss again. Um, look, going going into this, when, when you look at it, there's, there is those preconceptions. I think it's especially, it was around scrum time as well. I feel like we we dominated, yet there was, I think, two or three penalties where we got called for wheeling. But it's just like, well, no, it's just what happens when we actually have a date, like a decent scrum going forward. If you if that's your only, if your only belief is, well, that's it. The only way this must be going forward is wheeling. Then you've got you've got preconceived ideas about how that scrum is going to go. I think what what needs to happen is especially for the ones like Valentini, they have mitigating factors. And whilst most of the times they're all they, they make common sense, you need you need that accident. That, and it's going to sound wrong, but like an almost like an accident clause because that that wasn't a tackle. That was a head clash. Yeah. The, where he's made, where his attempts at made a tackle was low, but the head's got in the wrong place and they've they've collided and gone down. My question is, if he gets, if he just plays the ball back and goes on, does anything happen, or are we just all of a sudden also just ruling on how injured the player is? I th- I think you need it. The mitigating factor needs to be. You need to have more than just well. You, They've tried to drop the body height, so that's good enough. Or, you know, they did. it was a reaction tackle. They didn't seem... You didn't realistically say that, hey, there accidents happened in this sport. There was no... There was no attempt. It wasn't like the Levini incident from overnight, if anyone's seen that. Like, no one's complaining about that. Everyone has said that is a red card for his tackle on, on Healy. Like, I think it's just... It's a case of you need to be... You need to have more, understand that there's more mitigating factors, that it's not black and white. It is very much grey. So... I think that's what that's what they've got to work in heading forward. Also, a twenty-minute red card if we're going to be serious. Yeah, great point, mate. And I think that's got to be a, a rule introduced into rugby, mate, because it, it it takes out the referee power. Okay, twenty minutes without a play is still inconvenient, but it actually takes the human element or fuck witticism, as I like to call it, out of the game, because the referee gets it wrong, the the TMO gets it horribly wrong. Okay, you're down for twenty minutes, but you're not penalised for a game. You know, and I, I think I was thinking about this during the week when you guys were talking about going on air. And I think the, the Kiwis have the ref challenge, but I, I, that doesn't work because we saw on the weekend the ref and the TMO. I think there was a French AR for the Welsh game. There was a couple of times, in my opinion, he tried to talk the referee back from decisions. Like he, he said, are you sure? Let's look at it again. Did you check that angle? So it, it almost seemed that there was a modicum of uh, sensibility there. But, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the Penguin's name who did the game. I know he's a Scotsman. But him and Yonkers were almost connected, uh, you know, on the same wavelength. They just, they kept talking each other up. 
And to the point where I don't think the Welsh guy should have got a yellow card for the tackle on seven A's. I was worried about seven A's tackle on the, the guy. The, I think it was the Welsh replacement prop. He was His body height was below that of seven A's. So seven A's got his arm down below his knee, still wrapped around the Welsh prop shoulders. I'm thinking, oh, they're going to reverse this and they're going to send in Alazatoa. But I think that's a great point, Nathan. You probably stole it from me. Was that the red, the red, the twenty-minute red car's got to be a permanent fixture because it, it, it is a sensible uh, correction to referee or officials' mistakes. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's 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 proven its worth, particularly in the over the course of of this of this tour that. Uh, to, to, to keep it as an entertaining product, I will also say as kind of one last last kind of point on this on this subject is that I, the one thing I'm also especially concerned about is that all of these these calls have actually I think it, it really makes me worried about the state of defence going into this because whenever there is a case of of, of an attack or kind of whenever is a case that a, that a player is fouled, the majority of these instances it's actually gone against the defensive player. Um, and you know, a play whenever the player is trying to 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 tackle properly, and I'm really concerned in terms of just you know it, there has been instances such as you know with the such as with you know Corombetes you know red card against the French where the French captain in attack had the ball and he ducked into that mm. to the point where you know you know Corombete he he, he and obviously yeah, he was coming a little high but it was enough to you know if if the if the captain had stayed there it would have been a perfectly legal hit but it also comes to the point where often attacking players can can make the situation worse with how they go into a tackle but in most instances the 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 penalty or the the disciplinary measure goes against the defensive team um and god it, it really worries me about in terms of of you know we talk about the value and the importance of defensing rugby and considering the vast majority of, of these penalties are going against defensive teams uh it, god it worries me in terms of of particularly how how you actually ref de, uh, defensive measures um but Nick, if, you, if you look at so let me just pose a hypothetical and there'll be you know a thousand different answers to this question but if 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 sideshow bob is six, six inches lower in his tackle and they still hit heads what happens i mean if you hit somebody that hard you've got 220 kilo giants coming at each other at fair rate of knots and the Welsh player's head jolts forward and it still hits Rob Valentini, is that still a red card? Is is it mm. the act of, is it the act of the heads hitting? What 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 justified that as a red card? So Rob Valentini goes in slightly lower, the guy's head jolts forward, hits the top of Rob Valentini's, is that still a red card? Mm. Yeah. It's, well I mean we're all in agreement that it shouldn't have that it shouldn't be. But I mean, if that's the case, if, if it's just a case that Valentini has just slammed a bloke and it looks like, oh, but his head's moved, so therefore it's dangerous. Therefore, you are punishing what, what actually is a fantastic tackle and a fantastic bit of defence um, because it looks a thousand times worse when you're replaying it for the 832nd second yeah. time. In, sl- in um, and, Yeah, in super slower. Of course, something's going to look worse when you when you do that because you're you're seeing what the actual impact of the contact has. Even though you know the the attacking player might have just got up and and kept on with it. Um, Yeah, it's 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 really concerning. Just can't emphasize it enough. And completely agree with you both. Scrummaging like refereeing the scrum right now is a fucking joke. It's a joke. Like nothing flies at all. Um, and 
particularly around the whole we- the, the wheeling situation. Um, God, they need to sort out the scrum, especially. It's it's just it's like a lucky dip. No, I was going to say, mate. Look, in the same game, in, uh, I saw the Welsh prop go to his knee three or four times, and it was play on. And then they lose they lose the, they lose their not ascendancy, but they lose their cohesion as a scrum. The Aussies naturally wheel them because one of the Welsh scrums gone down, and we get pinged for wheeling. It's like, well, but hang on, you're on that side of the scrum. I saw his knee hit the ground from the fucking Ponderosa, and you and you can't make a decision and you're three meters away. Like, how does that work? What is so what are the ARs watching? It's the exact same, feet. exact same as England as well. Like it, it seems it just the final point on the refs. I don't want to go full ref bashing, even though we kind of have already. But it's the thing is, especially when it comes to scrum time, it seems like we have to do a lot more to get a penalty. Like especially in England, we I remember there was one we pushed them back at least three or four meters. They've crumbled on the ground. I think it might have been Scotland, and the ref kind of just looked around, and then five seconds later went, "Oh yeah, this should be a penalty." It's like. If that goes the other way, as soon as we're taking three steps back, you're calling you're calling advantage of that. You just gotta we gotta get out of this perception that we can't we don't know how to even spell scrummaging well and do it. So you just gotta just come in with an open open mind, which is what really should happen. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. Hopefully the reception changes and we can finally get some sentencing because we're actually really we've got some really good scrummages in that team now. Yeah, I think the scrums, the scrum, the scrum has come along leaps and bounds in the last five years or so. I reckon, it, yeah, God, it's it. There certainly is a, a lot of work to do on the refereeing front in in twenty twenty two, and you know whether it be changes to the 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 actual regulations, whether it be you know week to week discussions with referees, who knows. Um, let's move on to question four, uh, and let's talk about the year, kind of just the year in general now. So. We've come to the end of Rennie's first full year in charge, uh, and he finishes with a record of seven wins and seven losses. Uh, you know, we pick up, we finish up runners up with the rugby championship. Uh, we win, we won the the series against France. Um, two wins against the the box, two wins against the RGs, a win against Japan. But of course, going down to the All Blacks, and of course, a, a three match loss, uh, losing tour of uh, of Europe. Nathan, I'm going to throw to you first uh, for this particular question. What do we rate Rooney's first year out of ten? Uh, I mean, fifty-fifty. So you probably only can only go just over. I, I'd probably say a six. Like fifty percent, probably should say a five. But you probably give it. I give an extra point because you really think. Okay, sure, the results weren't there, but there is there's plenty of momentum heading into twenty-two. I don't think we've. There's been many times after spring two we've been able to say that unless we won, say three out of four games. So, I, it's definitely a pass. I mean, you, we beat the world number one team twice. Like you, we can't devalue how much that that does for a side. So yeah, I'd probably probably give it a six. I'm surprised. I thought I, I'm tempted to almost go towards like a light, a de- like a decent six to a light seven. I feel like, but maybe that's more the fact that. There have been so many instances where you know you've played in a, in a team that's playing really really great, but you have the luck of the draw. Or there's situations like that, and there have been several games where you know where things just didn't you know there was just small things that kind of impacted the team from going on and and, and winning it. So you know if we've a couple of things had changed in that Scotland game, and if and if things went our way in the Welsh game, we'd suddenly be staring at the at down the barrel of a of a you know instead of a seven seven. Uh, 
situation, you'd have you'd be staring down a nine five uh, record, which would be a much more positive year. I think I think there's a lot to like in in this squad compared to years previous, where you'd feel like you know we, we the boys were just playing rope a dope, boring rugby. We only need to look at what we were talking about in terms of the standout players and the actual effort that the boys have put in on the on the field to say that this is a team that is definitely going in the right direction. Um, in my eyes, I think there is there is so much so much uh, you know exciting talent that is coming through. There is so much you know in terms of actual game plan. This this radical thing that Rennie's brought brought in called analyzing the opposition, like right. like wow, <laughs> what. Look, what has that done? What the hell? Suddenly, you know, the, the game plan that they brought to the Japanese game was different to the game plan that they brought to the Argentinian game. And finally, where's this all been? I feel like even though, of course, you know, that a lot of the results haven't come yet, there's a lot of positives to take out of that. And I think hopefully it'll only improve with more game time and more time to actually play together, play with that system. Um, and I think, you know, for many coaches, professional coaches, you don't really start to see their full results until you go into the, you know, the third year of their tenure. Um, and I think that's definitely going to be the case here for Rennie, which I'm, I'm optimistic about. I'm, I'd give them a light, like a decent six, a decent six for that one. Hoss, do you agree? Do you disagree? Oh, look, I think you two are soft. I think, uh, you know, I'd like to have <laughs> like you to be my teacher in economics, I would have got 100% with you too. Um, I think it's a solid five, and, and I don't say that based on results. I, I, I put that on the the way we we played, particularly from Japan onwards. Um, take, take Wales out for a second. As I said earlier, I think we played well against the Welsh. No two ways about that. Do I think Dave's building depth and there's a much better culture? And, and yeah, I, I agree with you guys on that front. But the, the fact is that rugby is a results-orientated business. And, you know, we, we finished the year poorly and and I, I, poorly in the way we played. I, I got concerned when we when we played Japan. We really should have dusted Japan. And, you know, I said on the site, people are talking about how brave they are and they almost beat the British and Irish. Well, fuck me, almost beats the same as lost. You know, it, 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 they almost beat the British Lions. Well, they lost to the British Lions. We, we should have dusted Japan. Then we had, you know, Gandalf and Lazarus decide they like sake and karaoke more than, you know, fish and chips. So they stayed home. We were, so we were poor against the Japs. We were bad against the Scots. We were dreadful against the Poms. Yet, yeah, we rebounded against the Welsh. I don't argue that point. So, look, I, I give Dave and the Wallabies a, a solid five. Um, you know, in the, in the context of the season where, the reality is, like it, like it or lump it, we played, we beat the French C team. We didn't beat, we didn't beat the Duponts and the Intermax and those guys. We beat the French C team. I mean, and look what they did to a, to a strong New Zealand side. We got towed up by the Kiwis again. We were good against the the Catholics. We were okay against the the Fisms, the the the, the Argentinas, but we were below average on the tour. So I, I actually talked myself up from a four point five. Um, I'm a Dave. I'm a Dave Rennie fan. I like I like everything about the bloke. I like the way he conducts himself. I like what he's doing to the peripherals of culture and stability and depth. I, I like all those things. But you know, I, I, there was a brilliant article in Friday's Rugby News by some guy who said that you know what do we what do we know at the end of 2021 that we didn't know at the start of 2021? And to me, we still don't know a, a heap about who our best side is. So for all the depth we have, who is our best two and who is our best 16? Because it sure as shit ain't any of the twos we've seen 
so far. We've tried them, and they no one's grabbed it. You know, whether Parecki gets a chance, he was he was probably in, I think Nathan was in the wider squad, but he he got he got injured about that time or just leading in. Is that that right? Yeah, calf injury. I think the yeah, okay. game or two beforehand. So for me, for me, with the World Cup in 2023, we should know at the start of 2022, 80 to 90% of what our squad is. And 2022 is about more game time for Lolisio, more game time for those players. So we really, 2022 is about this is our best 30 and we're going to bed them in and give them game time. And we don't, as a rugby fan, I don't know who that is. Forget selections, you know, you got the, you got the, the, the people with brain damage north of the border called Queensland. You've got Victorians, and no one gives a fuck about Victorians, let's be honest. You've got Tasmania. Look, that should be another part of New Zealand as far as I'm concerned. But in terms of selections and who thinks what, who are our best 30? And that's great. Let's stick with them and start to give them some game time, serious game time, so they can get clarity as a unit. They can get rhythms and patterns and combos as a unit. Because 2023 is going to be in the blink of an eye. You know, It's going to be here in five minutes. And I contrast that with the French. The French know who their 30 are for the World Cup, give or take one or two players. Look at what they can produce now. They've been together two or three. The bulk of them have come from the under-20s. So just contrast the French versus us. You look at, you look at the darkness, and that's Dad's army. They're not going to make it to 2023 with the White Locks and the Retallics and the Dane Coles. And the, they're fucked. They're not going to win the 2023 World Cup. But... The French might, the English might, the Irish might. But where are we on that road? And look, I hate World Cup cycles. Every test should matter. Every tour should matter. But we, and I'm sure Dave Rennie and, and, and the guys around him have an, have an idea. But I think it was a wasted year in terms of, particularly the Northern Tour. Why, why didn't we give Lola Suyo more time? Why did we, okay, you want Harry Wilson to put on three or four kilos of muscle mass and, and work on a sidestep before collision? But why didn't we give him experience in the Northern Hemisphere against Northern Hemisphere sides where the next Rugby World Cup's going to be held? To me, that's far more valuable than a, a, a pre-season at home, getting a tan and working on muscle mass. Now, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of things, obviously, we don't know that, that they don't tell us. But it was a perfect chance for me to expose these guys to those conditions, that experience. The people they're going to be up against, the Otojis, the Marcus Smiths, all those guys, and I just, I think we missed an opportunity. And then, and as I said, it's a solid five, not for the results, but for the way we, we played it away from uh, the, the rugby championship onwards. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair. Can't can't argue with much about that. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 if. If if we had won those results back to no, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because we didn't. Doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's very easy to say we, we if we win those games you, we could be better, but on the same clip you could yeah, say yes, we, that means we are better. But we didn't win the results. So no, but, but the thing is as well, you could also say well if Quaid misses that kick in the Gold Coast and we don't get that last minute penalty against France in, in that I think first or third test, we then we then end the game. Hmm. Yeah, third test. We we end it what I think five and nine or something hmm. something along the lines of that. So. I mean, we had we had results both go away and go against it. I don't think we can speculate on the what ifs, but yeah, 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 yeah fair. Well, having said that, let's now jump into to this question because we 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 have the Wallabies for twenty twenty two to look forward to, and there is a lot of things uh, that you know we've talked about in terms of the the players and the development, but 
let's let's ask the question now. Uh, and I'll throw to you first, Hoss, for this one um, in terms of a discussion about what the Wallabies need to work on. What is if there's one thing that you want the Wallabies to to try and work on, uh, build on this year? What is it? What is the one thing you want them to do going into next year? Yeah, mate. One word: mental toughness. Um, I think the the Wallabies are certainly fitter than previous. I think the culture is is outstanding from a from an outside looking in. The culture seems good. They seem strong. They seem connected. But the sad reality is, mate, they're they're soft upstairs. Uh, they're soft individually and they're soft collectively, which which leads to the shit house kicks and the pressure passes and the poor decisions and the yeah. You know, I, I use examples and and this might be a bit harsh, but I use examples of. I think uh, the avatar, Taniella, on the weekend bolted out the line and missed somebody cold and left everybody. We're already a man down and Nella's 35 metres away as, a, as a standing in the fullback position for the Welsh. Why didn't he trust his mates? I mean, if the one thing from this year that you take as a positive, our defence was first class, absolutely first class. So why wouldn't he trust his mates? What? What? And again, I, I, you know, it's a bit harsh to pick on him, but I've seen Pasami do the same. He comes up when they nailed, they stay nailed, but he, he only gets one out of two, and then you're left scrambling. So I think we're mentally t- we're mentally fragile. We've got scrum coach, attack coach, forward coach, mall coach, uh, fairies coach. We've got you know coach in charge of dinner. We've got a coach in charge of the the, the clothes they wear. Where's the guy or the or where where is the coach giving them some mental mental toughness now? And I, I suppose I just step back for a minute too with the teams. The more they play together, the more understanding they're going to get, and the more that's going to grow. But at the moment, mate, you know, those the Bledisloe Cup. I think we threw 17 intercept passes in those three games, like, and it was all trying the same move. So the Wallabies strike me as the kids who keep touching the hot plate. Geez, that's hot. Geez, that's hot. Geez, that's hot. Geez, that's hot. We, didn't, we don't learn and we don't adapt. And we don't adapt because I don't think we're strong enough and our leaders aren't strong enough to say, hey, follow me. This is what we're doing. This is the next play. This is what we're doing. You know, the next 90 seconds is the most important 90 seconds. Not 20 minutes from now, not the scoreboard, but the – so, yeah, mate, so for me, very simple, mental toughness. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, addition, well, you, you were touching on the one, the big one for me, which is just a bit, just adaptable game plan, reading the game plan in front of you. And I think particularly against those Bledisloe in those Bledisloe Test matches, we were really shown up. There was you'd fall back on if you, you the Wallabies would there would be instances such as that first game, or that sorry that second game in. Uh, at Eden Park, where you had an All Black sent to the sent to the bin in the first ten, and and the Wallabies sense an opportunity and that is where the all blacks capitalize they 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 sent they are and i was saying i think you know they prep for the fact for for being able to defend and play with 14 men because they know that there will be a sense of complacency because there is an expectation on the opposition to score if they have the one-man advantage play the opposition in front of you if there is the the case that you're coming up against a team where there is a chance that you're going to where the try is not on and just accumulative points is the game, then play that game. If it's the chance where you have, you know, like we have against South Africa, where there's a point where you've just got to get to the 60th minute and if you're in the game and you're ahead of them and you've got them and you've cracked them, then you can start scoring the fantastic tries. It's just a case of, you know, really showing, having the actual, like looking up and not just going, let's focus on what we're doing, actually using these bloody things in in your head called your eyes and seeing, well, what are they doing? How do we find ways to pick holes in that? 
Simple as that. I think that's the big thing for me. Uh, just play smarter. Don't don't do rope dope stuff and fall back on rope dope stuff when things aren't going your way. Nathan, uh, what's the one thing for you? I mean, speaking of adapting, it's it's tackle height. I think it's this thing I, I said last week as well. We've there are new laws around what what, what they want to see when you're tackling. You need to get low. You need to try and take that instance like Valentini's out of equation. Once again. We don't do that. Someone gets carded, and we're, we're playing with one arm tied behind our back. Like it happened. I think it's happened what four or five times this year, where someone's been, someone's been, whether we like it or not, someone's been sent for ten or red carded for an instance when if you just lower your tackle height, you probably get away with it. So I mean, that's something we just we just got to work on so we can give ourselves a fair fight. Like, given we're already playing some of the best teams in the world, playing the All Blacks three or four times a year. When you're playing teams like that, we've got England coming down for a three-test series to start the international series. If we play play them once again, 14 men down, it, it probably end like like last time they were down here for a tour. So, yeah, Super Rugby Pacific. We once people go back to the clubs, just I'll be ramming home. Get that work the tackle height. Get at least show you're making the effort. Still get get that maintain the defense. The defense was great, but just. It's that just that's all you need to do is just drop down that tiny bit, show that intent. I think we're sorted for sorted heading forward. So that's the big thing for me. Yeah, it's especially you know I think it's doing those one percenters. I mean, I, when when you saw Swinton get sent off to sent off to, to improve tackle training, I was just thinking to myself, and I've made it no secret that you know with the exception of the weekend where he played all right, I have not been a fan of Lockie Swinton. I don't see the hype. Never have. And how the hell did you get to a to to get a gold jersey and not know how to fucking tackle? Like, come on, that's it's a it's it's such a basic thing. So I completely agree. Uh, fingers crossed that they can also you not in terms of just improve that technique and improve that discipline, but also just you know turn be able to to manage that controlled aggression and turn good technique and good tackling into uh, into solid advantage to take games by the scruff of the neck. Nick, um, just, back, just back to your point there, mate. Lockie Swinton gets a gold jersey because he plays for the Cars. When are you people going to get your head out your ass and understand it's the highway to gold? It comes with the blue kit. It's like the bag of grain. I have no problem with that. <laughs> There's a reason Cook landed in New South Wales and not fucking Queensland. <laughs> I understand your logic. It's just wrong, man. Come on. <laughs> Throw me a bone here. I'll be what? Oh, no, I'm not going down. Look, I've, I've been caught so many times <laughs> making comments about Lockie Swinton. I'm, I'm going to stay stay away from stop for this one because we have so much more to cover. Um, let's move on to our last two questions, uh, our last two topics for, the, for tonight. And I feel like whoever I give this to first is going to immediately take the France uh, the France uh, New Zealand game, so let's leave that one and and do a little small discussion with that one at the end. Because um, God, there were so many standout moments from this final weekend of rugby. I have no idea where to start, and I feel like it's it's unfair to just ask you both to pick one uh, that stood out. Nathan, I'm going to throw to you first though for this. Uh, apart from the, the the Wallabies and everything else, as well as that, you know, New Z- uh, France New Zealand game, what stood out to you? Oh, it's too much to cover. There's so much good rugby over the weekend. Um, but you know what? I'm going to go for something slightly different, slightly off the course. Something that's just been announced, the Barbarian squad for this week. Because there is a fair Wallaby, there's 11 Wallabies being named and a couple of inter- interesting choices. So you, um, 
it's a near all Wallaby back line. And they got uh, Ryota Nakamura, the only only foreign or non Wallaby at ten. James O'Connor starting at fifteen is is an interesting move, I reckon. You got the likes of Tom Wright and um, Dunguna on the wings with Ikatao and Parisi in the centres. But I want to see that that centre pairing looks incredible. So I want to see that. And you got people like Pete Samu starting at six with Rob Liotta at seven. That that's going to be an interesting combo with the likes of Angus Bell and Nick White coming off the bench. So I mean, there's plenty of rugby. Plenty of rugby to like over the weekend, but just let's not forget there's still one more big game going up. So I'm really excited to see how those, how Rennie coaches these these this side, which includes the likes of Malcolm Marks as well, starting in hooker. So it, it's going to be interesting, and I'm, you know what, it'll fill that void just for another week, which is going to be nice. <laughs> I was about to ask, are they going to? Is that Barbarians game going to be on stand? I really hope it is. I'm I'm not quite sure. I don't think anything's been announced yet, but you've you've got to hope so. With essentially half half the squad is eleven out of twenty four are Wallabies, with another being Rob Carney. So technically, we'll include him. He was he played here for a year, so that's good enough. But he's one of ours. Yeah, he's one of ours now. So <laughs> I, I hope so because it'll be it'll be a good game, and I want to see just Rennie just unleash every trick in his book in, in true barbarian style. Yeah, interesting game to watch that one. Very interesting game to watch. Um, Haas, the floor is yours. What's the what's the highlight for you for this weekend uh, in terms of other results? Oh, look, mate, the lazy answer is the the you know, the French versus the, the first the sheep shaggers. The the French were just too good. You know, Wayne Barnes let a let a good game go. Um, I only watched the highlights package on stand of the of the soap Dodgers versus the uh, the Catholics, so I didn't see enough of that to. Probably comment too deep on. Um, you know, I, I saw the. I think the first 18 points for the Catholics were, were, were three pointers. So that says enough about their game. But I'll, I'll probably take a helicopter view of this. I think the really interesting thing for me as a rugby lover is that Northern Hemisphere trounced Southern Hemisphere the weekend just gone. Um, there was a brilliant article in Friday's Rugby News about the French All Blacks game, and I, I really think that had that has. I said at the time it had, but that has tilted tilted the power and, and the balance in world rugby. You know, that's that's not to say South Africa aren't a good team, New Zealand aren't a good team, but, you know, you've got young sides with ascendancy in the French and the English. You know, the Irish are uh, uh, not far behind that. And if you had if you had to look at world rankings based on just the Northern Tour, you know, no, South, no Southern Hemisphere team would be in the top three for me. I think they'd all be, you know, they'd be France, England, Ireland, equal second, and then, you know, New Zealand, South Africa, you know, whatever, then Australia. So, mate, I think that that was fascinating given it's going to be Northern Hemisphere-based Rugby World Cup in 23. But more interesting, it's going to be mainly Northern Hemisphere-based officiating. And and not that, you know, take that Scottish Winker and Marius Jonker out of it, I think the Southern Hemisphere teams have got to get smarter about how they play and how they officiate the game up north. Now, uh, that's not a, a criticism of, of the officiating in general. That's just an observation that, you know, the free-flowing attack-at-all-costs game came undone. You know, I, I said before the I said before the Autumn Internationals that, you know, I could easily see a Southern Hemisphere clean sweep. And yet we've had the world champions and the world number ones, you know, I know South Africa and New Zealand changed, tra- you know, soundly beaten by the Northern Hemisphere teams. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a real shift in the, the power of, of world rugby. Um I think 
the Northern teams at this point. I know they're going into their season. We just finished a long season. And I also acknowledge the Wallabies have effectively been in camp now for just about six months. You know, they've been in a bubble. They've been together as a group. And look, I don't care how much you love the bloke in the, the, the orange jersey next year. Six months together is enough to give you the shits with anybody. You know, that's why this is my fourth wife. So, you know, it, 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 I understand the human dynamic. They get a bit tired. They get a bit fatigued. I, I get all those things. But the North is on the rise. It's it's a bit like it's a bit like Game of Thrones. Um, the north the north is on the rise and the south is in trouble. And uh, South Africa will still be strong. I, I you know I don't get the bomb squad. I don't get how Malcolm Marks doesn't start the game. I you know, I just don't understand some of those decisions. The Kiwis are like the Aztecs. They were once a they were once a superpower, but they're they're facing extinction. And I don't know that 2023. I think 2023. Sorry, is a bridge too far. For Whitelock, Retallick, Barrett, Coles. I just, you know, yes, there's 18 months, two years to go, but I just don't see the All Blacks being the power they were. So for me, long story short, I like the sound of my own voice. The the, the, the big takeaway from the weekend was the North dominated the South and to a certain extent did for the whole tour. Yeah, I think it's the first time since 2002 that South Africa, Australia and New Zealand all were defeated on the same day. Um, which is an incredible record, and I think that says a lot about about the state of affairs, um, particularly that you know majority of those uh, southern hemisphere teams had had very tough tours. Um, additionally, I think as well, this is the first time that France uh, had an undefeated in autumn inter- um, internationals campaign. You know, November since like I think in in nearly ten years, which shows how how well they're doing at the moment. And I know it's their first win since beating. I think New, New Zealand in 2009. So lots of records falling. So a lot to, a lot to be interested in. Just on that as well, the, the Irish as well. Um, yeah, smashed you up. Yeah. But all of a sudden, they've won eight straight. Yeah. Like we, we were talking about how good we were after five. They've, they've gone and they've won eight in a row. Like realistically, if they continue their form into Six Nations, they could, they could make that into double figures and all of a sudden they're a real scary prospect heading forward. When was the last time the, the Sheep Shaggers lost two in a row? Apparently it was 2000. According to, to my incredibly reliable source of Wikipedia, uh, it says uh, the last time they, lo- they lost back-to-back was when they lost consecutive, consecutively to both South Africa and Australia in August 2011. So it's okay. been 10 years. Though I was convinced that um, that that under Foster they'd lost two on the trot uh, last year when they lost to the Wallabies. Yeah, no, they did. They lost. They did. They lost two on the trot last year. One against uh, the Wallabies at SunCorp, and then they lost to Argentina at Bankwest last year. That, that's the last time they lost yeah, two on the trot. Did, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, interesting times. The North is rising. Yeah, let's uh, let's finish off with these with these awards. Hoss, we're gonna. The floor is yours. You have a selection of awards for the end of the year, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the inaugural Hoss Awards for 2021. Hoss, can I, can I just put a, a disclaimer? Hoss's Hoss's views, yeah, Hoss's views reflect his only. They didn't reflect anyone at Rugby Australia. <laughs> please don't sue me. Please don't. Please, if any player hears this, please don't cut me out. <laughs> We're going to put some sort of fun music on as well at the same time, just to just to make it to make us have a bit of a laugh. Look, look, look. Firstly, I'm a bit thrown. Tim Payne's just sent me a text message, which is 
slightly confused, <laughs> but I'm also slightly aroused. So I've, I've <laughs> and if, if I look, Tim, thanks for your message, but if I own that, I would not be photographing it. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah look, thanks, guys. A, a couple of quick awards. Look, uh, the first award is the Scott Johnson Award, or, or what is it that he does again award? Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what Jono does or doesn't do. So, uh, mate, look, the winner of the inaugural Scott Jono Award goes to Falao Fayanga. Um, I'm, I personally am unsure what he actually adds to the team other than probably an Australian impersonation of Dane Coles, who's a complete cock. Um, Palestine, as I like to call him, because he's a flower but not Israel. He, he's, good, he's, good, he's, he's good for two or three penalties against him every game. Uh, he, he offers very little general play in my eyes. In fact, if you watch him closely, he spends so much time as a walker, the next season I'm probably going to have to change nickname to Texas Ranger because he, he, he's been tried, he's been failed, it doesn't work, move on. Uh, the Ponderosa Encouragement Award look goes to Len uh, Fergie Ikatao. I think he's really blossomed at 13. He, he's, he's calm and considered. I'd also include him in the, the Kellaway uh, observation that he that the difference between good and bad is minimal. Actually, I haven't seen him play a bad game. Um, takes one or two incorrect options, but, you know, he's young and he's a career. Um, I think the games he probably hasn't shown has been because we've had a pretty poor 9-10 yeah, uh, performance in those games. So, look, I like the kid for 13. Could be here for a while. I like that he's good in defence. I like that he's a left-foot kicker. And he's just he's got a point of difference uh, in, in terms of the Wallabies. The Little Joe Award. Little Joe is uh, Hoss's brother on the Ponderosa. And that's that's an easy one for me. This guy's got the flying mullet. He's got the bucket-sized ass. He does the hard stuff without fuss or fanfare which is a bit like writing Friday's Rugby News after the Monday to Thursday show, but still all the content. <laughs> so I, I give that to uh, Rob the Mule Leota. I think he's he's he was probably a bolter for the squad. I think that's probably fair to say. But I, I think he's certainly uh, made himself uh, a permanent 30 uh, Wallaby member for the, for the time going forward. Mate, the Yako Johan Award for the uh, Referee of the Year, that, I've mentioned this before, that's got to go to Nick the Lip White. I think <laughs> Nick, Nick never had a bad game as ref during the season. Um, certainly the feedback he gave the ARs in all the games was was comprehensive. You know, a very good communicator, Nick, with the, with the assistant refs. Mate, he was always happy to discuss his decisions with whoever would listen. Um, it's a shame he wasn't mic'd up. I loved him hearing talking to Marius Yonker. Um, but yeah, Nick Nick had a good season in the gold jersey. But I, for me too, he was he was also the referee of the year. So well done, Nick! Terrific effort. Shame he couldn't get us home. The last one I've called Fats where it's at, and this goes to the forward who stood out for me this year, doing more than what a forward should do. Now everyone expects, you know, I've been at games where you know the abattoir, Teniel Tupo, you know, he, he receives all the plaudits. The fans go nuts when he runs on the field. But for me. This year, the inaugural winner of Fats Where It's At goes to Angus the Bull Bell. The kid's got good hands. He's athletic. He's strong. He scrums well. You know, I, I appreciate that Nell is the Mick Jagger of the Fords, but the Bull is the uh, is the Charlie Watts. And on top of that, Waratah. So you know, that's it's a pretty simple decision. I, I, like, I like the fact that he, if it wasn't Jimmy Slips uh, in the run on side. I think Bell would be well and truly a, a, a starting prop. And it's one of those things where I actually don't mind that because he's behind James Slipper. 
he's getting some tutoring, he's getting some mentoring, he's getting some he's getting some quality game time, and the kid's going to be him and him and Nella are going to be the, our forwards for the 23, 27, and thirty one World Cups, which again comes back to the frustration why we weren't affording people like Lola Cio the same opportunity behind Cooper and Co. But anyway, that's the Hossies for this year. An outstanding selection, mate. An outstanding always, selection. Always, I love love the Bell one as well. People, people want to talk up Tony Altuba and that that lovely sort of flick for Corimbete, but people forget it's Angus Bell who's the one with who's fast hands the ball out the front yeah. that ends up finding Tony Altuba like a prop to a prop, setting up an attack. Like it's been ages since we've had that. So I think he's a he's a worthy recipient. I'm not even surprised. I actually was thinking to myself when I saw this this incredible list of, of honours to achieve. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to put five bucks on the Scott Jono Award going to a hooker. And uh, lo and behold, it did. <laughs> no surprises at all. Uh, fantastic. I've had, I've had better efforts from $5 hookers in Thailand. Than well, I was about to say, it was, it was convenient that Tim Payne got on the line with you just a second ago to t- on the subject of that as well. <laughs> still a bit confused. Yep, still confused. We're all... Oh, indeed. Anyway, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Unfortunately, we have run out of questions and we have run out of awards and likely this will be our last podcast of the year. We do have a couple of, uh, of interview podcasts potentially in the pipeline, but realistically, that'll relate to Trump. I'll either get them out uh, early next year. But if this is the last pod of the year. Thank you all uh, for listening. It's been a pleasure to, to come along and, and chat rugby uh, week in, week out with you all. Um, Natho, thank you very much for your for your help over the year. It's been fantastic, and uh, for us increasingly having to put you uh, as a as the professional rugby player, uh, professional rugby Australian re- Australian representative, in increasingly hot water <laughs> for, for some of the comments that we may say. But it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you for coming on. Mate, thank you very much for still having me. I know the no, I made made the, made the jump from green and gold in rugby Australia, and that pissed off. Might, might have pissed off a couple of people, but you know what? It's been great to still be involved. <laughs> mate, mate, it is a privilege to be in charge of the parking lot at Rugby Australia. You, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a step up that any any person will be proud of. Oh, mate, look, he stole my fucking job. That Rugby Australia job was mine. <laughs> I'd been, look, I, I'd polished the hammers Bentley a few times, and that's not a euphemism. I'd, you know, I'd been in Clandy's car. I'd had lunch. I was promised three fifty grand a year, a car, a parking spot. An RA working week of 10 till 2, Monday to Wednesday. And then Nathan Williamson wears a bike helmet to the job interview. And I'm forgotten. (sighs) The old warm hands Williamson. And all of a sudden, I'm out. Yeah, it's that that private school link, you know, rugby Australia. They just love it. (laughs) The Randwick Randwick link. And he gets the private golf course and everything. God dang it. (laughs) Um, Hoss, it's been a pleasure having you on. You are welcome back anytime. I will happily chew the fat with you on the pod. But uh, thank you so much for finally, we got the people asked and we got him on. Hashtag Hoss on the pod. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, and to all of our listeners, thank you so much. We hope that you have enjoyed this season of rugby and also this season of the drop kickoff. Uh, we'll aim to be back uh, in 2022. Um, all the best. We hope you have a lovely break. Um, catch the rugby wherever you can. And to all of all, to all of you, we will catch you the next time around. But what did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? A bit of genius, a bit of magic. Sirly Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. 
Very good. Three cheers for Sir Eddie Bombo. Very good. Very good.